Hey, welcome back to the Olympic Coaching Podcast. And today I'm going to just dive into talking about the sport of badminton and my experience over the past year of heading up to strength and conditioning for India Badminton in Gopichan Badminton Academy. Okay, so this will be fun because I'm going to talk about my overall background in sport and how. I have observed this game in my first year, and this is an evolving thing. This is not scripted at all as an episode. I'm just thinking off the top of my head and reacting to the, my own experiences so far. And I'm excited to do more episodes of this in the future uh, as I learn and develop and uh, get this strength and conditioning program more precise. So let's dive into this episode. Alright, this will be fun uh, talking through this because this has been a fascinating journey so far uh, moving through uh, this sport with many of the Indian players that I've been working with the past one year so far. This has been more than a year overall as I first started working with badminton players down in, uh, in Hyderabad about, uh, what is it? like 2019 when I first started doing this. It was before the pandemic. So started really studying the sport a lot more back then. But it's interesting uh, to look into the sport of badminton a lot more because it, in years past, has not had a huge amount of priority. In years past, has not had a huge amount of priority for uh, sport strength conditioning because uh, it's not just as as not one of the major sports around the world. It, a lot of these Olympic sports, a lot of these uh, sports that are more localized. Um, around the world do not get as much funding as much sponsorship or as much fame as some of the other sports and yes there's always exceptions such as like american football and united states uh, that's pretty much only played in the united states not much in other countries around the world but just because of the culture of sport and advertising in the united states and the wealth of the nation it's the most wealthy league in the world um but so my background Yes, I played American football. I played. I did some track and field. I played basketball. I played uh, ultimate frisbee um, at a college level, college club level, um, and generally just been involved in in many different types of sport throughout my life. And as a uh, a student of movement, um, majoring in nutrition and kinesiology at Kansas State University, um, it was from an early point I just become very fascinated in movement and gain the ability to assess movement and um, even evaluate the, how a sport needs to be trained based on the work rest intervals, based on the most repetitive movements that you observe in the sport um, and understanding the physical challenges that someone's body will face as they, uh, as they are trying to compete in this sport, the kind of asymmetries and imbalances that can come. And my first exposure to that is whenever I was uh, doing strength conditioning with Kansas State baseball. Uh, you know, it's a rotational sport. Um, players become very one-sided, um, you know, thousands and thousands of repetitions in throwing or hitting on one side of the body. And so you get massive asymmetries that you have to deal with in the strength conditioning uh, setting because if you're not addressing those asymmetries, then become they become at much higher risk of injury. So if you can deal with those in the strength conditioning setup, then 
um, you solve problems before, before they become problems. So uh, ultimately in strength conditioning, you're in the interest of not just maximizing performance. You're in, you're in the game for minimizing injuries or preventing injuries if possible. And is that completely possible? Absolutely not. Uh, because uh, there's unpredictable, there's this unpredictable nature about sport that where you get in these really awkward positions, or the load just ends up being long through the season, or you get some certain types of impact um, that just cause like freak accidents, or just like the overall o- overloading, or even just uh, where there's more and more studies being done on general athlete management, uh, where managing the overall load of a player throughout the season, throughout the training year, in season, off season, in between, managing their lifestyle habits in and outside of the training environment, um, all in their overall stress that they experience mentally, physically throughout the year, all of those factor into uh, your body's ready state, your body's resistance to injury. And so, yeah, a lot of this factors into it. But, um, it's just a fascinating field that I love to just continue passionately um, diving into. And I love the relationships that I get to have within the realm of sport. But specifically with badminton, what have I observed in the last uh, few years of working with badminton? Is, let me make some general observations about sort of the, uh, the sport itself. So there's singles and doubles, and there's men's and women's, and then there's mixed doubles as well. Um, but each different type of badminton is going to have a little bit different demands. It has naturally different paces uh, based on the people who are playing. Okay, So, for example, in the men's divisions, both singles and doubles, you end up have men are just naturally more explosive. Um, this is true genetically um, that men you know, physiologically have more muscle mass. And they, because of that, they tend to be more explosive, faster, more powerful than women. And so that changes the nature of the game in both singles and doubles, uh, where the points can end up being a little bit shorter, more explosive, um, and have a little bit faster finishes. Whereas in women's, it often ends up being a little bit of an endurance game. Who can, you know, outwit the other, who can last the longest or who can stay most accurate the longest. Um, and so, I mean, that's a fascinating thing in itself. And so like, it's really common for a, uh, a, a point in a women's match to go anywhere from you know 20 to 45 seconds, uh, whereas oftentimes in a uh, in a men's match, a 30 second point is a really long point. <laughs> um, 30 45 seconds happen a lot less frequently within men's matches. Oftentimes, a point is finished within 15 to 20 seconds. Um, but then in in doubles, the game is really fast. Um, on the men's side, where uh, based on the technique and the speed of the shots uh, happening, I mean, you're hitting the shuttle at upwards of 200 miles per hour or over 300 kilometers per hour. Um, and so that thing is cooking, it's moving fast. And so that causes a really a need for a really fast reaction time. The points can last, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds. Um, a really long point can last up to 30 seconds, okay? And so with this, in the men's division and women's division of uh, singles, um, there's a lot more of a demand on um, your unilateral movements. There's tons of lunging. There's tons of forward and backward 
changes in momentum. You have to be able to sprint and cover the entire court. You have to be able to go fast and slow. You have to be able to be able to hit really hard, but also have a lot of touch. Um, and with the nature of the use of the racket, you have to have great, great uh, internal and external rotation of the shoulder. This is common across all divisions in the sport. If you're missing internal rotation, especially, you're going to have a lot of shoulder problems in the sport, which is true of most throwing and um, racket sports. If you're missing internal rotation, you're just going to cause a lot of uh, shoulder issues. Um, this is a really common issue within the sport. So as physical therapists and strength conditioning um, professionals, always be looking at the internal rotation or that hang shape um, as you're sort of pulling the elbow up above the hand, such as in like a, a clean or something like that or some type of an upright row. Um, do Does an athlete have a capacity to keep um, the hand close to the body um, without the shoulder or the uh, elbow dipping. Um, so fascinating there. In the doubles side for men's, it's you have to have, uh, or for men and women, you need to have a ton of uh, ability to have really quick feet. You have to have great reaction time. Um, that's true of all uh, divisions, but especially in the men's side, you have to have crazy hand-eye coordination and reaction timing got to be able to move fast laterally um, you have to do the forward and back but not quite as much unilateral um, work um, and need for a ability to explode out of that unilateral position as in the singles division because you have a partner who's able to help you cover the court so you need to have crazy lateral positioning you have to be very explosive to be able to move quickly in small uh, explosive efforts but you got to be able to get back to the center very very quick uh, so that's true in singles and doubles. You have to be able to get back to center really fast. So that speed agility work is incredibly important. Uh, within a strength conditioning setting, yes, I need to be able to build capacity in all movement patterns. Uh, you have to build stability throughout the knee, hip, and ankle relationship. You have to build um, full um, expression, range of motion, and motor control, and all the overhead and pressing um, and hang shapes of the shoulder, um, but especially have to work on the unilateral um, side of things. So, so in the strength conditioning setting, I'm, we're programming bilateral stuff. We're using both sides at one time, and and within that, we're always assessing. We're always um, seeing the difference from side to side. And so, whenever we do bilateral move, movement, we also add unilateral movement. And the way that we handle asymmetries within our strength conditioning setup is we add an extra set to the weak side. Um, so in badminton, you're often pushing off of one leg or you're, you know, of course, you're hitting with one arm. And so there often becomes a weak side on, on the leg and the arm. So working with those asymmetries to balance those out is automatically going to resolve a lot of the um, stiffness and mobility and the injury problems that, that we have. Uh, within the sport and so even in the last year injuries have come down significantly with the players that I'm working with uh, there's a lot less um, inflammation they're dealing with just because we're dealing with the low-hanging fruit we're going to try to um, restore motor control um, with you know lots of different specific movements that challenge your balance and unilateral movement and core stability holding a weight on one side but also adding different kind of band distractions or jumps to allow you to land under control or not uh, in a lot of these uh, stability and motor control uh, patterns, we're challenging you to have the best possible position um, as you're going throughout the movement, whether it's weighted or unweighted.
and having control in the eccentric portion specifically for all of our different uh, athletes that we're working with. And this is true of many different sports. Your ability to slow down and change direction significantly impacts your um, rate of injury, your ability to perform at your best and be able to get somewhere first. Um, Your ability to actually be fast is not so much about your acceleration. There's so much emphasis put on the acceleration, but a lot of coaches just forget to teach people how to set up first how to start a motion and how to slow down um, how to have control as they go through the eccentric portion of a lift or even in a an athletic or a sport movement can you slow down on a control and have c- control in your body and positions as you slow down t- and change direction so it's something I'm always watching for as i see different players playing the court as you're lunging forward um, for the shuttle um, do you have great back position or is your spine just con- completely collapsing? As you initiate that movement, are you um, activating your glutes? Are you stepping into that? Or are you leaning into it with your spine first, leading with your chest rather than pushing off with your legs and using that strong um, base? It's always a core to extremity movement uh, in every movement. And if uh, if we see a uh, an incomplete pattern, Uh, Because you're initiating with the extremity first and it causes a compensation within the core um, or the spine in order to achieve that full expression of that movement. So we're always looking for those things. And so in the uh, strength conditioning environment, we build volume and we build stability and we build um, a lot. I mean, after we build that motor control and we improve the sliding services we're we're trying to do mobility frequently um not just mobility isn't just stretching we work on the um the soft tissue on the sliding surfaces of our muscles um getting deep into that we work on the joint capsule itself uh, working close to our joint capsules and adding motion into our mobility routines um but uh we also challenge everyone's body to move through the full joint range of motion in order to develop motor control and full expression of uh, range of motion in every single joint and so it really helps to open up a lot of those tissues and rather than creating a lot of stiffness by doing just a short range of motion and yes as we get it close to competition time for some players we'll shorten that range of motion or we'll have different uh specific exercises that are working for a specific uh section of movement such as like a squat jump we're not going to squat deep because the the most power generation usually comes in the last quarter of that movement if we're going to do a squat jump you don't jump from a squat position you jump from a slightly hinged position right um so that's getting into the uh the weeds a little bit with with the program but just this is what's been what the experience has been so far and we, yeah we're definitely refining it a lot and we have to get on the same page as a staff and we're working on that constantly uh, but we're finding that um, when we're able to address a lot of the unilateral movement we're able to build stability and motor control and things we're able to um, enhance mobility by working through range of motion and addressing the asymmetries by doing a little bit extra work on the weak side we're significantly improving uh, the injury rate of the academy and so understanding the load that the uh, players get on court means that whenever we're trying to do a significant amount of uh, conditioning or aerobic capacity work or develop our anaerobic um, work capacity we're often doing that in uh, low impact settings so the main thing 
main uh, item that we often end up using is uh, we'll use an air bike to do that to build a lot of capacity because that's low impact and it's incredibly effective using both lower and upper body on that uh, to really spike the heart rate and get a lot of work done in a little bit of time. So we build our aerobic and anaerobic work capacity on the air bike, but we also get creative in doing uh, different sort of interval work. We'll do, you know, kind of call it CrossFit or HIIT um, at the end of our workouts using low risk uh, movement patterns and trying to build volume and capacity in those by uh, minimizing our rest. And so, and it's just crazy in the sport of badminton because you, um, you have to perform at those really intense intervals while also getting very minimal rest in between. You get 15 to 30 seconds between points frequently unless they're wiping the court or you're exchanging a racket or something. Uh, you're typically getting very little rest in between. So as far as the sport, yeah, the work-rest ratios, um, overall it looks like it's an endurance sport because you're getting less rest between your explosive efforts, but you do have to have very good strength. You have to have very good anaerobic capacity to be able to be explosive frequently. And often, uh, because of that, you have to address um, both of those within the strength and conditioning environment. We have to build the aerobic capacity because that affects someone's ability to lower their heart rate and recover in between those explosive efforts, between those intense points. If uh, a player has a low aerobic capacity, the ability to just go long and slow, um, then they're not going to be able to get their heart rate down. Uh, in between points. They're not going to feel at their best throughout the match. Um, and if we're not building the explosive ability, um, that anaerobic capacity, then players are just going to be generally slow. They're not going to be able to keep up with the players who really play a heavy attack game. Um, so you kind of have to develop both. And whenever we want to develop uh, someone's reaction time, their agility, we usually do just very uh, short sessions with that, more focused on the the positioning, the control, the way that someone is addressing the ground. And we are beginning to put a lot more uh, creative um, movement patterns and agility drills within the warm-up itself before they get on court. We don't need to schedule separate sessions um, necessarily all the time because that just increases their overall load. I would rather put five to 10 minutes, you know, a small dose of speed and agility work in the, a player's warm-up before they go on court for practice on a regular basis rather than schedule another, you know, 30, 40 minute um, high impact speed agility session um, once or twice a week. Okay. So this, uh, this is the small ways to get those little micro doses uh, right before on court that acts sort of like an act activation you know you practice it more frequently in a warm-up it helps the player get warm up warmed up and activated uh, before going on court but also has the benefit of just practicing a habit that can eventually translate to their actual movements on court so our, our drills get very specific some are just general uh, basic skill uh, just the footwork drills uh, but then some are very more uh, very much more specific related to the sport, the regular movements that you see, practicing, having a good footwork with those movements. And uh, as I'm leading different speed and agility drills um, and plyometric drills, I'm specifically looking at uh, foot position, hip position, how's the knee traveling over the foot, how is someone starting initiating that jump motion um, because you want to pick up those comp compensations and 
um, address those within a controlled environment when someone's not holding a racket so that whenever they do hold the racket, they're more likely to have a better position um, and address the ground more safely and effectively and efficiently uh, throughout the match. So they are the one who is at the advantage in the match because they're not tired. Their body's moving efficient. They built their aerobic and anaerobic capacity within that controlled setting um, and their body's more resilient for the high impact intense um, sport that it is. And I'm, I've discovered more and more about how the, the sport itself does really beat you up um, because it is very high impact. It's intense. It requires a high uh, training volume uh, to keep a, a good touch on the shuttle. You need to have regular touches with the shuttle in order to keep your coordination and feel on court and, and control the shuttle on court. Um, so that requires a lot of time on court, which ends up being more impact on the joints, more more uh, stresses on the shoulder and the thoracic spine. Um, but that also means you have to manage that overall load within the strength conditioning environment. Sometimes less is more. Um, sometimes just two workout sessions a week in the strength conditioning setting is enough. Um, but in, in times whenever the tournament volume is a little bit less, we aim for three sessions in a week. Um, but the badminton tournament season is year round. So there's not necessarily off seasons within the badminton setting. It's crazy. Uh, compared to something like, uh, you know, American football or, uh, or football, soccer or basketball, or, um, you know, even other big, big name sports such as like cricket, um, or, you know, other big leagues within, you know, in the world, uh, they have like a defined season for a certain number of months. And then outside of that, they get breaks. They have off season, uh, where they can choose to do, you know, a little bit more like minor league matches or other competitions, or they can choose to do just off-season training and that off-season training is where you really build up their body and their fitness and you have lower practice volumes or no practice at all of the sport so it allows your body to recover and you that's whenever a, a strength conditioning professional is the key player in helping build up their body to make it at a higher performance level and, and in a, a ready state for taking on the demands of the season but in badminton it's year round so there is no like multi-week periodization uh, because you have to manage the load so much it's more like you're playing the long game we're going to work up to a heavy uh, a heavy set of certain exercise a day you're going to gradually see if you can track the loads and uh, gradually increase that over time and you want to see them generally improving over time because it's more like maintenance and then gradual strength increases so you don't need like a crazy one rep max strength within badminton but we usually end up for more of like a three to five rep uh, max can you control that uh, weight a relatively challenging weight um, for multiple reps and have the same performance of every rep and that's what we're aiming for same speed same performance of every rep and we don't need to load the neurological system the neuromuscular system so much as to you know, put it in a high risk one rep max environment. Um, and so we aim for more of the three to five rep maxes. And we kind of just look at the long game, you know, whenever there's less important tournaments, we see that as an opportunity um, or there's no tournaments for a month. It's like, okay, four weeks, we're going to do what we can to, to build up your system. And I know that, you know, two weeks 
into that four-week period, your practice volume is going to get pretty intense. So we get about two weeks of really effective strength training. Then we got to dial that back a little bit, but still get some quality to try to build you up so you're ready to make it through a tournament where you're not going to be able to train much at all. It's going to be mostly, you know, body weight to very little type of uh, strength conditioning during a seven to ten day tournament, um, and traveling internationally and dealing with the uh, all the struggles of traveling, whether that's, you know, sleep, nutrition, things like that are not ideal. Um, but these are all things that we're getting better at. We're trying to, to educate our players on, uh, nutrition. We're trying to educate our players and make them smarter athletes to own their recovery, to be able to track that better and be more aware of how their different life habits, their nutrition habits, their sleep habits affect because our body is a system. Everything is connected to everything. Um, and so we're trying to help our players become a lot more aware and not just kind of shut their brains off when they're, um, off the court and even just kind of, uh, get numb as they go through the, uh, the routine of different, you know, practices and training uh, day in and day out, but really challenging our, our players to be a professional. And so this is what we've been doing so far in this first uh, official year of heading up strength conditioning within the academy. We're trying to level up ourselves all the time, trying to level up our lifestyle, level up our fitness. And uh, it's a privilege as LinFit Coaching to be a part of this, to consult and add value uh, to this and, and kind of head up this whole strength conditioning um, of the Indian bad, badminton players in Hyderabad. Um, and so I love I love what I'm doing. I love uh, the relationships. I love being able to impact these players on a deeper level, even outside of the sport itself and performance, uh, really helping them uh, find who they are um, and find a, a greater meaning in what they're doing and greater meaning in who they are and what defines them. So, yeah, this is uh, this is what it's been so far. This is uh, unscripted, raw um, processing of, of what the experience has been so far. I'm hungry to get better at this and hungry to, to further understand the sport. Um, and hungry to help these players continue to earn more medals in their sport um, and grow the sport itself. Um, I'm thankful to keep doing this. And uh, yeah, there'll be more future episodes on uh, on this topic and different experiences. Um, but yeah, if you like this episode, if you want to learn more about uh, strength conditioning, if you want to learn more about um, India badminton or anything, um, but especially if you would like help uh, with you know leveling up your own fitness, you, if you need to help, uh, your own athleticism, your own performance as a prospective athlete to be uh, managed and you don't have access to someone in your locality, I do this remotely in Linfit Coaching. And so from a remote setup, an online coaching setup, that's uh, that's what I do. Um, I love getting to come alongside young developing athletes who really need someone who can uh, help them reach the next level and give them the kind of attention that they need, the attention to detail and tracking that they need and really help them to become a smarter athlete, to become a better competitor and become more physically and mentally ready to perform at their best. So if that defines you, then reach out to me at caleb.linfit on Instagram or go to my website at linfit.com and go to the contact page and reach out to me there. So thanks for tuning into this and I'll catch you guys on the next one.